Blog Talk Radio. This is the Back Porch Writer Podcast, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. It's live, fun, and informative. Each week, I chat with writers, editors, and industry pros to give you and me a heads up about this whole new awesome publishing world. Back Porch Writer is about creating the life that you want through writing and publishing. Are you ready to tap submit? Let's explore the possibilities together. Welcome to Back Porch Writer. Welcome to Back Porch Writer, the show for writers, about writers and writing. I'm your host, Corey Miller, and today is September 13th, 2017. And, you know, I'm sitting there listening to the intro that I created last year for the show, because, you know, I try and do a new one periodically, and I realized, wow, um, so occasionally it's not live, but that doesn't happen very often, so I'm not changing that. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not changing that. Um, and, of course, I also happen to talk with industry experts who are not exactly related to, okay, the writing industry. Because, you know, when I first started Back Porch Writer, the first year and in the second year, I had a lot of conversations with SMEs, subject matter experts. And sometimes those experts were in a field that was slightly different than traditionally, you know, writing-related fields. But I did that partly because we can all benefit from that sort of knowledge. And so that's what's going to happen tonight. I have a guest on tonight who his background is actually, it's not writing. His background is business, which is relevant, obviously, to authors because we have businesses. So that's relevant. Um, And I listen to a lot of nonfiction books. I've mentioned that in the past. And some of them are simply about business. I'm listening to one right now about lean startups to give you an idea. So it's good to expand our horizons. That's one of the reasons why I like to bring on subject matter experts in a variety of fields, because it's just one helps us and two keeps things interesting. So that's what's going to be happening in just a few minutes. I'll invite our guests to join us so we can ask them all kinds of questions. Okay, me, not you, sorry. But I'll try to ask the questions that you would ask. That's what I do here. We all know that. So right now, as you know, because you've been listening to the show, um, I'm in graduate school, so I'm studying, you know, educational psychology, neuropsychology, positive psychology, and I'm having a ball. The class I'm taking right now, one of them, full-time right now, so one of the classes is adult aging, and I have to write a literature review, and I was struggling with what would I write, because I have to be honest, this is not a topic that I necessarily have a lot of interest in. I just don't. Um, I don't know why. I just don't, but the topics in the class are really interesting. And my challenge is trying to hone in. Where do I go? What do I do? Because I have so many interests. And I finally settled on something. And I had convinced my professor that it would be a good idea. So I came across uh, socially assistive robotics. I had never heard of this. Some of you probably have. But I hadn't heard of this. Oh, my gosh, that's really interesting. And so I have been totally geeking out for a week now, (laughs) researching SARS, socially assistive robotics. And it's fascinating. and, And just the ethics of it. When you get into the ethics of creating a robot that's going to interact with humans um, in their home, but not touch them because that's what a socially assistive robotic would be, it would be and is, is fascinating. So this has really been just a pleasant surprise to to go down this this, uh, rabbit hole and and learn a thing or two about socially assistive robotics. But if I bring it up because if you happen to have any information about that, if you've experienced with it or whatever, please shoot me an email and let me know because I have not written the literature review yet. I'm in the, 
the phase of gathering information. So if you have some, please send me a message at katymiller at backporchrider.com and use the subject line that says you know, SARS or socially assistive robotics. And then I'll know that, oh, I better open that right away because I'm going to need it <laughs> immediately because, you know, I got to write the lit review. And if you've ever written one, you know, it takes time. <laughs> it takes time and you want it to be just right. So that's what's going on with me. I hope everything's going well in your neck of the woods and in your world. So as I said, tonight, my guest is Tom Nix, and he is going to be talking with us about a few things. One of the things that he's created is what he calls the life key, Life's Key Concepts, and there are 10 of them, so we'll tap into that and chat about that. Um, and I'm going to let him talk about what his background is. It happens to do, be in, well, originally it was in, uh, not really, but where he had his main business was in uh, check cashing, and so that's where we will start. Tom, welcome to Back Porch Rider. Thank you, Corey. Nice to be here. I'm so glad you could get here. So why don't we start with what I just said, which is you started in, not exactly started in, but your business that you sold for a whole bunch of money was in check cashing, that right. industry, right? Well, we actually started out in the baker distributorship business. This is back in 1966. That evolved into a full-service mom-and-pop grocery store where we learned how to cast checks. And then in 1978, we opened our first freestanding drive-through check cashing facility, sold the market, and that launched a whole new business for us that we uh, that we built into a tremendous success here in Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area, and sold it in 2007 to uh, connect a federal credit union. So it was really a great ride. Mm-hmm. Did you go into it with the idea of we're going to build this and sell it? Because from an entrepreneur perspective, some people do that and some people don't. Well, we were either going to sell it or we, we were going to um, go public or we're going to have some sort of exit because I brought in investor investors in mm-hmm. the company. And so investors are always looking for a return, and eventually they want an exit for their um, mm-hmm. For their investment, so yet not initially, but once I brought in outsiders, then that was the program. Mm-hmm. So walk me through a little bit for what that experience is like—the whole, you know, getting investors and and that because some people don't aren't familiar with that process. Well, I mean, to to grow a business, you've got to have capital, and. Most uh, small businesses, you know, are operating on a shoestring, so you want to try to expand the business. Very difficult to get um, money from a bank. It's too high risk. So what we did and what what many people do is um, we formed a private limited partnerships, and we raised funds from family and friends and business associates to, to grow our business. That was initially how we funded the growth of our business. At the time we started, I had four check cashing locations and I raised uh, money to open another 15 over about Mm -hmm. a three-year period with uh, eight separate limited partnerships. And um, from that point on, we continued to, you know, build the company. We had a uh, um, business partnership with Western Union with Sun America, the big fine, uh, insurance company, and also with mm-hmm. Union Bank. So, but to start to start the process, of course, you know, we we got loans on our houses and 
you know, shoestringed mm-hmm. it along. But it was a, a, a really great experience to build something from, you know, little tiny, tiny business into, mm-hmm. by the time we sold the company, we had 60 locations, had 450 employees, serviced 400,000 customers a month, satisfied customers a month. So we were quite an institution in L.A. here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because check cashing and all of that, you know, it's right in there in many people's minds, myself included, I'm not going to lie, with the whole uh, loan, the payday loan stuff and, and being, well, it certainly has been negative in the news for sure. But that, from reading about you and reading about your company and what you've done, that you had a, a certain mission. You had something in mind for this. Um, so why don't you talk about a little bit about what your mission was then? Well, our our uh, strategy was to provide fast, friendly, courteous service at a fair and reasonable price from locations where clean, well-maintained, and professionally staffed. Everyone in the company knew what our strategy was, and our philosophy was to go about business with a high level of integrity, a strong sense of fair play, compassion, and being an integral part of the communities we served. That was really important to train our our management team because managers are at a point of choice, and we wanted them to make sure they made the kind of choices that were honorable and fair. And we wanted to be, um, you know, we were we were providing alternative financial services. Check cashing is different than payday loans. Mm-hmm. Check cashing is really an alternative to the bank because if you don't have a bank account, you can't go in and ca- get your check cashed there. Exactly, and there's a there's a huge percentage of adult population in our country that does not have a bank account, or they have what's called a foot race bank account. Right, they don't have any money in the bank, and they're racing to get the money in there before the check's clear. Right, these are the kind of folks that that we serviced, and they would come in with their payroll or government check. We would charge them about two percent to cash the check, and we gave them five free money orders to pay their bills with. And it was a very nice um, model that was relatively um, affordable, and especially when you when you compared it to their particular experience going with a bank. You had in a few bounce checks a year. Right. We were very competitive until the customer started making more money because mm-hmm. we were charging a, a, a rate, a 2% rate on the face amount of the checks. And once... Um, a customer started making more money, then a banking became more um, advantageous for them. And mm-hmm. in, in the banking industry, the more money you have, the less you pay. Mm-hmm. So it's an inverted uh, business model. So our mission was to pr- create full-service, over-the-counter banking, as well as alternative financial services in one location. Mm-hmm. And we did a streamlined form of that with Union Bank. We had 36 locations that offered uh, streamlined banking, not not full-service banking. And then when we sold to Connecta Federal Credit Union, it was one of, it's one of the larger credit unions in the country, you know, they were able to um, achieve the mission of providing uh, regular banking right in our f- facilities. Mm-hmm. One of the things I read about your, your former company, I thought this was very interesting. People loved it. I mean, everything I read about it, people really appreciated the services. And part of it was because you were in the communities and the people that you hired were from the community. So you were you were in there. You weren't some outsider coming in trying to do anything. And that's huge. 
um, to be in that well, position to be able to do that. Some, about 98% of our customers live near our branches. So they were African-American or Hispanic, which was our primary customer base. And we treated them right. We, the, you know, the, um, there was no hanky-panky. Our prices were, you know, uh, posted in a conspicuous manner. People loved our company. And we, mm-hmm. we have certainly aware of the reputation of the check cashing industry and then later on the payday loan industry. Mm-hmm. Most of that reputation comes from people that don't use the service. Most of the people you ask that actually use the service, they're going, hey, man, this is terrific. And I've had mm-hmm. article after article, paper, newspaper article, where the, the reporters like shocked. What? I can't find mm-hmm. a complaint here? So mm-hmm. um, it was a terrific service. It's basically a service business. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Well, I mean, we were part selling of it was, service. From what I could see, you weren't charging your fees. Everything was just out there for everybody to see. No shock. No, nothing. Um, I know people who I worked in the welfare to work industry for 10 years. And so I intimately aware what goes on with people who have no money and nowhere to go um, and know what happens when they go to a payday loan service that, you know, charges 200, 300%. This is back in the day. This isn't now. So I'm aware of that and, and working with people who they couldn't get a bank account. They just, they didn't fit that profile of someone who would get one. So I, I see why people actually appreciated the service that you were providing through your company. The other thing I thought was really interesting, in one of the articles I read, you had, or your your employees, your staff, had creative ways of checking ID for people. We, because that's we did. another issue. We did. Not everybody has a state ID. And a state ID in Nebraska, back way back, used to cost like 15 bucks. I don't know what it costs now, but around the country, I mean, it's not a free thing to get a state ID, even if you don't have a driver's license. So I thought that was cool that your company did some interesting things. So why don't you tell people a little bit about that? Well, each each customer received a photo ID card. They could either use that or their California driver's license to cash checks with us. And um, if they didn't have proper ID, we had a number of ways to identify them. For one, we would call their work supervisor, not personnel, but the guy in the company that they actually worked with, and we had a lobby phone, and we'd put the supervisor and the employee on, and talk to the. They'd talk to each other, and we would listen in, and we'd say, "Okay, is that the guy?" <laughs> they go, "Yeah, yeah, that's my guy." Once we knew that, we would we would a uh, you know make them a, a next check cashing ID card. And so once they had that card, they were good to go at any of our 60 locations, whether and get the same fast, friendly, courteous service because we were all tied together mm-hmm. on a computer system. Not in the early years, but you know, later mm-hmm. on in, in the years. And the other thing I wanted to mention before I forget is that early on in the industry, there was tremendous price gouging going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I spearheaded an effort to here in California where we actually regulated the industry, capping the fees at 3% for cash in a payroll or government check, requiring uh, operators to post their fees and give a receipt with each transaction and so the, the customer, if they felt they were abused, we had a uh, the Department of Corporations had a, a hotline where they could call and complain, mm-hmm. and that really dried up the the abuse right away and, and, and started to make it a more legitimate industry. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you do need government regulation to keep business in line, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because you know people are human, and sometimes they're going to take advantage of other people. <laughs> 
Yeah, if they don't have the right value system, then they're going to. Yeah, that happens. Now, I thought I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, were you um, in law enforcement? Yes, I spent 10 years as an L.A. County Reserve Deputy Sheriff, along with owning Nick's Check Cashing. And we worked, I worked the inner cities and inner city, basically the Watts area of Los Angeles. And um, not, not Watts proper, but in that area. It's called Firestone. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was quite an experience. It was, uh, it was re- you know, every night I had my gun out t- maybe a half a dozen or a dozen times a night. It was a really um, dangerous mm-hmm. career, especially when it was a part-time career. I did earn a dollar a year, however. Oh, my God. So, I was a paid law enforcement officer, $1 a year, and I got $8 a month in expert shooting pay. Isn't that terrific? That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So you've got this background of, of law enforcement. You've got the check cashing place, the business. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you decide, okay, we're definitely we're going to be selling this. And the reason I asked about mission then is because I want to know what the mission is now versus then because all of those experiences obviously informed what you did. And one of the things I read was that, you know, you had your business for 40 something years, right? And in yes, that time, 40, 40 years, 41 40 years, right? So in that time, I think in one interview, you said you only had, I don't know, it was like a handful of robberies, like four or five or so. It was really low. The amount Very of low. robberies, which I'm sorry, that shocked me. I, and maybe I have a bias there somewhere, but that really surprised me. Um, well, that that's really a, a combination of two things, Corey. One is treating people correctly. So our customers wanted to protect our business. And two, having good security procedures to make it difficult for, you know, the uh, for a criminal to come in and, and rob us. So we were very successful at both of those things. And, and my law enforcement background did help us there. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so particularly during the riots. So you know, we had the Rodney King riots, yeah. which were, Horrible. you know, which was an amazing experience, and actually came to the rescue of the city of Los Angeles, and opened up during the riot. Some unbelievable. I don't remember reading that. Meaning back in the back when it happened, because I was in college when that happened, and you know, even in Lincoln, Nebraska, we had protests about what was happening there with the Rodney King mm-hmm. incident. So, yeah, I remember that. I have, <laughs> I have interesting memories about that. But I'm sure yours are much Me more too. involved <laughs> than mine. Me too. Well, anyway, so I, I sold the company in uh, 2007, worked at Connecta Federal Credit Union for two years, retired, and I wrote a book about my experiences called Nixland, My Wild Ride in the Inner City Check Cashing Industry. And so that really, it's really a small business success story, but it's packed full of all kinds of unusual things from my experiences as a sheriff, a deputy sheriff, um, the riot. I had an assassination threat from the Chicago mob, which is pretty interesting to read about. And, of course, all all the business uh, chapters that we have with the different partners, Western Union, uh, Union Bank, and finally Connecta, and, of course, some. Um, um, I talk about a lot of the mistakes we made and some of them that, you know, where, where we did the right thing, you know, made mm-hmm. the right decision. So anyway, it's an interesting book, but my passion really is to share with people 
the tools I use to transform my, my life and to create a really successful business. That's what I'm passionate about sharing now at this stage of life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to know now. So I, I talked about it a minute. I'm like, what's your mission now? What, it, what is it? And I read through your key concepts, um, and I want you to tell everybody you've got 10. Um, right. Can you tell us the 10 quickly? Because I want to be able to come back to a couple. Well, I'd like to. I can, but I'm first spending our time on the first one, which is, which is very complex, and the, and the rest of them are straightforward, and they can get a free copy on my, my uh, website for that. If, but I'll go through them if you prefer. Let me go. Start through. with number one. Go ahead. Start with number one. All right. Well, that that's the one. That's the big one. So, so number one is the fact that uh, I had an experience 40 years ago when a friend uh, inspired me to uh, listen to a a book on tape called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that book? Yes, I have. I'm pretty familiar with that one. Mm -hmm. That was a a game changer for me, and it inspired me to go on this crusade for about 10 years of listening to self-help programs and going to seminars, trying to figure out how to be happy and successful and it's from that experience that I came up with these 10 key concepts. But the first concept is that, that um, there's uh, a natural law of the universe called the law of attraction. And mm-hmm. it's not new, but if you don't know about it, it's new. And mm-hmm. basically that law says you get what you think about. And so what I've learned is that if we can use uh, affirmations, visualization, positive mental self-talks, and pictures to put into our conscious mind the things that we want to accomplish in life, and through this law of attraction, things start to get attracted to you, people, ideas, opportunities. And so you, you can uh, actually create um, a game plan for yourself by writing affirmations. That was my big thing, writing affirmations. And an affirmation is very simple. It's just a statement about what you want in life as if you already have it. And you've uh, got to be careful to avoid using the words no or not or don't so that you affirm what you want, not what you don't want. And mm-hmm. uh, eliminate the word will or going to, which refers to it happening in the future. So you write these affirmations. You say them. Uh, you've got to write it correctly. Say it once or twice per day, make sure you're affirming something that's realistically accomplishable, not pie-in-the-sky stuff. And then the, the, the other thing is to be prepared to um, take advantage of opportunities and ideas and, and people that come into your life. And that's mm-hmm. how this, this, this process works, this uh, law of attraction. And so it's just been amazing to me, and I actually taught this to my all, every single manager uh, in our company went through my mm-hmm. class to learn how to do this, to learn how to create a better life for themselves, a more happy, healthy, prosperous life. So I've seen this work not only with myself but with literally hundreds of people over the years. It's really mm-hmm. powerful. It is really powerful. It's interesting. As I read through the ten, specifically as I read through the first two, I thought, oh, my God, this is reminding me of some principles in Buddhism because I was 
recently I've been looking at some Buddhist principles, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's interesting. But there's a tie-in here, and it's because, as you say, nothing's new, but things have to be presented in a way that a person can receive them at the right time, at the right place, from the right person. And so that's, that's, why, exactly messages right. have, that's why messages have to be sent in several different ways to people. And so you writing this this way will re- be received by certain people, the right people at the right time, in the right place, and, and all that. So I think it, that was an interesting connection that I saw. And it, it, the other thing is, um, I, I believe, too, that if I speak something out it's, to the universe, it's going to come back, whether it's positive or negative. That's something that I followed for a long time. And while I don't follow and do affirmations, one thing that I have a habit of doing is I say what's going to happen. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Years ago, right. I've done this a few times, but years ago, I was in a position where I was transitioning. I was with the same company, but I was going to be, I either had to leave the company or create a new position for myself. I had to create more value. And so I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to contact, I worked in refugee um, services and employment services. And I said, I'm going to contact the state refugee resettlement coordinator in Florida. And so I went downstairs. I was at my parents' house at the time. I went downstairs to talk to them. And I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to make this call to this person whose name I had already researched. And by the time I get off that phone, he's going to ask me to come and do a workshop. And he's going to pay for it. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen. And my parents were like, okay. I walked upstairs, got on the phone with this person, told him who I was, talked about all the different things that I could do. And by the time we got off the phone call, I kid you not, I was going to be going to Florida to do a two-week training, and I wasn't paying for Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Right? So it's like, this stuff works. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it works. I have an incredible story, if we have time, I'd like to share with your yeah. listeners. Okay. So, literally, I use this affirmation process in conjunction with the uh, law of attraction all these years, and it's it's just been amazing but the the most amazing thing was when I sold my company so this was in 2006 we hired a I hired an investment banking firm when he came in I told the guy uh, Dave Iannini with uh, Barrington and Associates I want to sell it obviously for as much as I can but I want to sell it to a strategic buyer not one of Mm -hmm. my competitors I know a competitor will come in here fire everybody at the main office who'd worked for me for decades and, you know, just, just dismantle everything we had accomplished for four, four, 40 years, you know. He said, the problem is, Tom, the reason that the uh, competitors can pay more money is they can cut costs. We'll do our best, but, you know, don't, don't, hold, don't have high hopes for it. So they, uh, they um, appraised the company to sell for about $30 million, which I thought was tremendous after mm-hmm. – um, you know, after having a very successful, profitable business all that year to have those years have that kind of exit. But my wife, she's like, hey, it's worth at least $40 million, which frustrated me because I wanted her to be happy, but she wasn't. But it inspired me to think through, well, is $40 million really achievable? I mean, obviously, I couldn't sell it for a billion dollars or something like that. And I decided that even though it was a stretch that I, that I could, and I, I, I made this uh, affirmation, which was we sold Nick's check cashing to a strategic buyer 
for over $40 million by July 31, 2007 to the benefit of our shareholders, employees, customers, and community. And we went to work trying to sell the company. We're right down at the wire. We're ready to sell to a competitor. We had eight companies interested in buying our company, but not one of them was a strategic buyer. And six weeks prior to me closing the deal, I got an email on a Sunday from somebody who I'd met at a community event, and they said, hey, by the way, uh, Connect to Federal Credit Union's looking to buy a check cashing company. Are you interested? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Two days later, we met with them. Six weeks later, we signed the deal to sell the company on, on July 31st, 2007, to Connect to Federal Credit Union, a strategic buyer, for $45 million. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's like a miracle. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. So it's this mm-hmm. stuff is really powerful. And it I really have is. three suggestions for your um, listeners. One is to get uh, read or listen to Think and Grow Rich, which you can get on Amazon.com. Watch the video called The Secret, which you can watch for free on Netflix or for $2.99 on um, thesecret.tv. And then go to my website and pull off the uh, 10 key concepts. Put a little time, study the stuff, and believe me, it'll change your life. Tell everybody your website. They know where to go. It's uh, nixland.net. So that's N is in November, I-X-L-A-N-D.net, nixland.net. And when you get to the, uh, the home page, go to About the Book tab, and in the lower uh, left corner, you'll see an icon there that says Life's Key Concepts. Click on that, print, your, print these concepts out. That's, that's what I'd like people to do. Now, one of the things that you have been doing is some speaking engagements. Um, yeah. So how have – are your speaking engagements, are they, have they mostly been with adult audiences? Yes, all, all, all of them have been so far. Okay. And my question then – is how, because I read your 10 key life concepts, how do you think you would go about, I don't know, adjusting them for a younger audience, where that younger audience was, you know, middle grade, you know, 10 to 12, or, you know, high school? How would you adjust some of that? Or would you? Maybe you wouldn't. I don't think I would. I wouldn't start with kids that you know young i have uh, grandsons that are 11 i haven't given this to them yet i don't want to sh- want to keep my powder dry for when they're really going to get it but high school kids they can get they can understand this they may not like it because they're not in the mindset of creating quality and creating value as a uh, you know as a, a worker and you know mm-hmm. what what their worth is going to really be and how much money they can they can make eventually is going to depend on the value that they can provide to either consumers or a company or something like that. In high school, they really, you know, they're not there yet. For, they're you know, not interested in that. I think college is the where, where you start, and I'm actually going to start. To, I've done one at, at USC, one uh, presentation. I'm, I'm going to do some presentations at the local colleges around here because my mission right now is really just to pass on this the, the goods so people can create a better life for themselves. I've got everything I need. I'm uh, pushing 70. So, you know, this is, this is my passion right now. Spread the mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading your, 
life key concepts. I, I'm a geek that way. I love that stuff. <laughs> so I, I enjoy reading that. And I want to thank you so much for being with me here on Backwards Writer and sharing your new mission with everyone who's listening. Thank you, Corey. I really enjoyed it. And again, everybody, you can find his book. I know it's over on Amazon. Uh, so you can check it out over there, and it's probably in a few other places. But it's Nick's Land, My Wild Ride in the Inner City Check Cashing Industry. So check that out. And, of course, go to nicksland.net. Now, that stuff is in the description for the show. So you'll be able to see the link to the Amazon page, but you'll also see that there's the nicksland.net there. So that will remind everyone to check that out. Um, what do you have coming up uh, right now, Tom? Anything? No, I don't have anything coming up right now. So Just everybody needs show. to get in touch with him. He's not busy <laughs> right now, so this would be the, the prime opportunity to call him for some consulting <laughs> and perhaps some coaching, right? Sounds good. Yeah, that would be You're great. Not busy right yeah, now. you can get a hold of me through. You get a hold of me through my website. You can contact me right through there. Or send me an email or something, and I'll be glad to, uh, you know, get involved with you. There you go. Coaching and consulting. All right. Bye, Tom. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Have a great Bye, night. Corey. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Go over there and check it out. Um, thoroughly a pleasure, of course. Now, how does this relate to being an author? Well, okay, it's a business thing, right? So treat your people right. Respect your readers uh, to a certain degree. Give them what they want. I mean, that was one of the things that was a huge takeaway when I was reading about Tom Nixon and his business was that it's, it wasn't this horrible, horrible thing. It was people wanted this particular business. They needed this business. And I can tell you from working in the welfare work industry that it's not easy when you can't go to a bank and, and cash a check that you got. And you, you have no ID. This is not an easy way to live in our country. And so those services were needed. They, he fit a niche and it worked out perfectly. So pay attention to what your customers are asking you for and analyze it. And maybe it's reasonable. Maybe you need to do it. That's what I can tell you. Hey, and also, also go check out that uh, Lean Startup book. I think that's the actual name of it. If I'm wrong, you can shoot me an email, and I'll tell you the actual name of it. But it has to do with Lean Startups, and it's been a really interesting read so far because I'm trying to actually apply it to writing and publishing that business, but I'm also trying to apply it to another business concept. So this is an, a very interesting ride for me. So. That's all I have for you tonight. Thank you so much for joining me here on Back Porch Writers, show for writers about writers and writing. Again, I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, flip chair. Thanks for listening to Back Porch Writer. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe via iTunes so people just like you can find the show. If you've got comments, questions, or want to be a guest, visit BackPorchWriter.com for details. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit a spell, and write. <laughs>